Where are we? Chaitanya Charitamrita. Chapter 9. Chapter 9. Chapter 9. Start with 43. Nija Nija Sastrodhaya Sabi Panchanda. Sarvamata Dushipada Karikanda Kanda. Translation All of these adherents of various various scriptures were deep were ready to present the conclusions of their respective scriptures, but Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu broke all their opinions to pieces and established his own cult of bhakti based on the Vedas, Vedanta, the Brahma Sutra <coughs> Brahma Sutra. <coughs> and the philosophy of Achintya Beta Beta Tattva. Achintya Beta Beta Tattva means simultaneously one and different. This is the confusing factor uh, that the materialists uh, struggle with when they're trying to understand spiritual life. Because in the material world, something is either this or it's that. You can't be both. You're either a Democrat or Republican. It's either black or white. It's day or night. You get the, the picture. It's one or the other. In the spiritual world, Krishna has this achitya beta beta tattva. Simultaneously, he's this and that. You see. So the materialists, they get, they, they, uh, they get tripped up when they're uh, trying to speculate about spiritualism. Because <clears throat> they're materialists, and they're speculating about spiritual life, so therefore, uh, they, their speculation is incorrect. You see. They can't hear. They, they, they'd rather speculate. You know, I hear a little bit from you, and I hear a little bit from you, so then I come up with my speculation, which makes me look better than you and you both. You see. Sar <coughs> Sarvatras apaya prabhu vaishnava siddhante prabhu siddhanta kehana pore kandite. Translation Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu established the devotional cult everywhere. No one could defeat him. Hari Hari Prabhu Mate Karina Pravesha. E Mate Vaishnava Prabhu Kaliya Dashina Desha. Translation Thus being defeated by Lord Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, all these philosophers and their followers entered into his cult. In this way, Lord Chaitanya made South India into a country of Vaishnavas. Prasandi Ailayata Panditya Suniya Garvakari Aila Sange Sishaganalana Translation, when the non-believers heard that the erudition of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, they came to him with great pride, bringing their disciples with them. Text 47. Bhadacharya Mahapadita Nijanavimate Prabhura Age Udgra Karila Gita Balita Balite. Translation, one of them was the leader of the Buddhist cult and was very learned, a very learned scholar. To establish their nine philosophical, philosophical conclusions, 
he came before the Lord and began to speak. So he's going to try to establish this uh, philosophy. So, so many times when we're preaching, we see this. You know, we're surrounded by the New Agers. And one thing that you don't have to be around the New Agers very long to, to find out is that they already know everything there is to know about spiritual life. So, and that's the way they've been living their life. Everyone around them, around them feels that way. And they run in a crowd and they all think that they know. So it's very much, this, this is very reminiscent of uh, what we're doing now. And it's like Bhakta Bike and I were talking last night. This is the continuation of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's movement. We're doing the same, you see. We're, we're, this is the same thing. Uh, we're in a world of uh, impersonalist philosophers and speculators. And our job is to convert them, you see actually to convert them. If we can't convert them, let's peacefully coexist. But we want to give them the truth. What they do with the truth is their business. <coughs> Text 48. Yadyapi asamasya bodha ayuka dekhite Dapati Baila Prabhugava Kandaite. Translation. Although the Buddhists are unfit for discussion and should not be seen by Vaishnavas, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu spoke to them just to decrease their false pride. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Buddhists are unfit for discussion. They're unfit to discuss. Why is that? They're unfit for us to have a discussion with. Anybody know why? Because they're atheists. They're atheists. Now they would look you, they would say, oh, no. But they are. It's an atheistic philosophy. It, they believe in voidism. <coughs> it's void. Uh, <coughs> one of their favorite uh, terms is uh, uh, nirvana. They like to talk about the nirvanic stage. Do you know what? That's a Sanskrit word. It's not a, it's not a Chinese word or it's not a Nepali word. That's a Sanskrit word. Nirvana comes from, from our teachings. Do you know what nirvana means in Sanskrit? Bhana's forest. Huh? Bhana's forest. No. Well, yeah, bhana, but nirvana means nothing to achieve nothing, void. So <clears throat> the New Age folks, uh, they've put a spin in it, and once they speculate what nirvana means, they think that nirvana means, and they believe that nirvana means peace and bliss. But it means to go someplace away from everything, away from it all, to be uh, in void, nowhere. It, nirvana specifically means you're in a place that's not a place. So there's nothing, you see. So uh, the, the nirvanic stage means to be uh, merged into the, the void, to go get void. That's basically what they mean. So it's interesting how it's discussed here. Uh, Krishna Das Kaviraj says so nicely uh, that we shouldn't even see them. You know, 
That's an eye-opener, isn't it? Mm -hmm. We shouldn't even see them. However, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is going to look at them and he's going to preach to them. So for the purpose of preaching, the Vaishnava can walk up amongst anybody, regardless. We can, you know, we don't consider anyone untouchable because we want to save the entire world, all living entities. And it doesn't mean that we necessarily would go rub, what do they say, rub, rub elbows, or you know, become buddy-buddy. As long as we're preaching, as long as there's some uh, preaching ex exchange, we can associate with anybody. Uh, but when it's time, you know, typically uh, people have this, even so-called spiritual people, they have a time when it's time to put away the spiritual stuff and, and bring out the booze, you know, open a beer, what do they call it, pop a top, you know, roll a J, you know. So it's time, there's a time, there comes a time to put it away and let's go on with the party, you see. So that's when we exit. We're, we exit stage left, you know, we're going. So, but as long as they'll let us speak and as long as we can discuss Krishna Kata, then we'll, we can associate with anybody. Because if, as long as we're uh, vibrating Krishna Kata, we're safe. We're in safe mode. You see, we're fixed. We're thinking about Krishna. We're meditating on Krishna, and we're following in the footsteps of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. You see, Anusulyana, uh, Srila Rupa, Rupa Goswami talks of this Anusulyana. Uh, it's following in the footsteps of the previous acharyas. Nowhere, in, when you read the nectar of uh, devotion or nectar of instruction, uh, Srila Rupa Goswami was the great scholar uh, of our sampradaya. Uh, nowhere do you hear anybody say, concoct. Prabhupada never says that. Srila Bhakti Siddhanta never, ever said that. Rupa Goswami never said it. They never said concoct, create new stuff. They never said it. They said, our principle is the principle of Anusulyana, following in the footsteps of the previous Acharyas. You see, we take what they gave us and present it to the world. Now we can always try to polish it, you know, and make it somewhat better. If we can, I mean, if it can't be any better, but better in our presentation, you see, but it's not, uh, it's not really worth our while to try to figure out how can I come up with something new. We, we already have it. Let's follow in the footsteps of uh, the previous Acharyas, you see. We're doing, do like Lord Chaitanya did. It's not that, well, he did it and that was 500 years ago, so, you know, heck with that. This is, Wow, man, this is 2012. This is special. Mm -hmm. uh, it's always been special. <clears throat> People always think, you know, when 1980 came, actually the, there was this movie uh, back when I was a child. Uh, it was a book, too, I think. George, I think it was George Orwell, was 1984. 1984. Yeah. So all through the 70s, you know, we talked about 1984. When 1980, when the, when the 80s came, oh, we thought this was special. When 1980 came, remember? You know, we thought, oh man, we're in the 80s. Rock and roll changed. You know, the the band started wearing makeup and acting like they're 
maybe gay, maybe not gay, <laughs> hairspray, their hair was like, you know, David Bowie turned completely crazy. He, they started painting their, everybody went into this whole crazy thing. You know why? Because it's the 80s! I mean, this is really special. And now we look at the 80s, well, that was 30 years ago. You know, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Everybody thinks that my age is right now is real special. You know, uh, typically the younger folks, the younger folks are always thinking, well, this is, you know, in our age, it was the dawning of the age of Aquarius. This is the dawning of the, you know, the summer of love in 1967. It was going to be, you know, we were going to change the world and yada, 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 and you know the rest of the story. And it's always happening. There's always this thing going on. We're in 2012! You know, 1984 came and the world didn't go, uh, go to pieces. Uh, the year 2000 came and it didn't go to pieces. The computers didn't shut down. 2012 is here and the world's not going to end. It's just not. If it does, I'll be the first to say I'm, I was wrong. I'm oh, sorry. But it's not. You see? It's just business as usual. Another day in the, in the land of Maya. And so uh, here we are just humbly trying to catch hold of the lotus feet of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And we're trying to follow in his footsteps. So we'll go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Buddhists and talk our philosophy, you see. We'll go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the, the quasi-spiritualists. And it's fun, actually. It's, it, you know, it's, it, 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 it's a little bothersome in a way to hear their, their concoct philosophies and things. But in a way, it's, it's a lot of fun when I'm preaching in these yoga studios to hear these philosophies, you know. Sometimes you have people who just want to talk in front of the group. And what I try to do is get people to talk. So sometimes you'll get somebody who will start talking about the, the allness of the total oneness of the cosmos, which is all-pervading, all-entity. And they start going on with this. And, and I let them talk for a minute or so. And I say, okay, now, can you repeat what you just said in English? Mm. Well, I, I said it in English. Oh, I don't understand. I don't understand anything you said. Now, please forgive me. Mm -hmm. I didn't get. I didn't get anything from that. Mm -hmm. But then that's by design. If I say something that doesn't mean anything, how can you tell me I'm wrong? It's genius. When I start talking about the allness of the one cosmos, blah, 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 you can't say I'm wrong. I didn't say anything. You know, if I say 2 plus 2 is 5, you could say, hey, hey, wait, hold it. You're wrong there. But if I don't say anything, and everything, the sum total of everything I said adds up to zero, then you, I didn't, you can't correct me. You can't really, the only thing you can do is if you have the courage is to say, I'm sorry, but you didn't say anything. You know, you know. Now listen, well, we'll say something. Have you noticed that about the New Age use? They talk, 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 and it doesn't really mean a, a lot. You know, I was listening to the folks up at uh, Austin at the program we went to. Mm. You know, listen to them talk, and it's always that same stuff that leads to nowhere. There's no sum total to what they say. It's, it sounds emotional, 
it sounds uh, sentimental, it sounds warm and fuzzy, but it really doesn't go anywhere. You know, it doesn't point you in a direction. And you wait another <clears throat> few years, and this group's going to be replaced by another group. And they're going to be warm and fuzzy and talky, 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 and like that. We'll say. That's just the nature. That's, if we look at history, that's the way it's always been, and there's no indication that these uh, empiric speculators will change. They won't be any different. So, yeah, there, uh, uh, like Buddhism is, is not a, is not a, a speculative philosophy. It's, it's a bona fide path. Yeah. And, and there were great logicians, the Buddhists. Um, they were they were they were strict adherent to, 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 to logic as, as a path. And sometimes you know they were very 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 astute in their you know, in their arguments, very precise. They're quite slippery characters. They're a lot more difficult to deal with than Christians. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's a lot more philosophy because it's a closer <coughs> to Vedic tradition. Yeah, and uh, but see, it, the, it was meant to be a trick. Mm. It's a trick. Buddhism, uh, Lord Krishna appeared as uh, uh, Buddha mm. to trick people because they were offering, uh, they were having uh, animal sacrifices, and uh, they were doing it. They're eating meat in the name of sacrificing it, you know. So I'd like having a sacrifice uh, for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you know. So, you know, sort of Lord Krishna decided he was going to appear to, to trick people away from this philosophy, lead them away, you see, which is what exactly what he did. So uh, it's, it's that way by design. It, it sounds embraceable, it sounds attractive, it sounds so many things, but it's, uh, it's void as philosophy. Mm. But um, what would set us apart from, from them? Because, you know, if, if, when we start to talk sometimes to them, it would sound that we are also warm and fuzzy. We, oh, we are. So what would, how would we be able to say that? They are wrong, or that they are—they're not making sense. But we are, because they would say you—you are using logic to try and defeat my arguments. You know, so what makes you think that you have—you have the truth and that I don't? Because you're eliminating God, and God is the absolute truth. If you don't have God or concept of God, they don't even think Buddha's God. You know. Who's God to a Buddhist? Well, there's no God. If there's no God, there's no supreme, absolute truth. Yeah. Same thing with the Mayavadis. The Mayavadis, ultimately, they're atheists. It's an atheistic. It's an escape from uh, dealing with the Lord, with the supreme. It's a way of dodging. And it's very sly and very slick because I can, under the guise of being spiritual, <laughs> I love that definition. Spiritual could mean anything, you know. 
I'm, it's getting to the point where soccer team is going to be spiritual pretty soon. <laughs> you know, that term is getting so wide. Spiritual. Well, you know, if you're a vegan, oh, that's spiritual. <laughs> There's something very spiritual about being vegan. You know. You know. It's just, you know, it's just uh, amazing. So, uh, but how can we, how can we defeat them? Uh, we could say that, my dear Mr. Atheist, uh, Mr. Buddhist, if you want to pursue your path, then your path is right for you. If you want to end up in the void, if you want to end up in, in a vacuum all by yourself, which is where you're headed with your philosophy, whether you admit it or not, that is the philosophy. If that is what you want in the core of your soul, then you are on the right path. We're not here to say, my religion can beat up your religion. You know, We're here to say, I want to, I want to present a different view. You've heard about the, the Buddhist thing, and you've heard this, and you've heard that. You know, uh, perhaps you've heard Judaism, Christianity. Maybe you've heard the whole thing. Now let me give you another thing to chew on, okay? Let me put something else on the menu, okay? It's like when you go, uh, if you went to a restaurant, and you sat down and you looked at the menu, and... Uh, picked out something that sounds really good, you know. So you order it and then uh, the, sh the waiter brings your, your food and you're sitting you're eating and it's pretty good. Then you look over at his table and he's eating this opulent preparation. You know, it's like really great. All, you know, so many different preparations and it's beautiful and looks like. So then you say, hey, waiter, yes? Uh, I didn't, which one of the items on the menu was that that he's having over there? And the waiter says, oh, well, what he's having is not on the menu. Well, you'd think, well, wait a minute, you know, if you'd put that on the menu, I would have ordered that. I mean, what I have, I thought sounded pretty good, but man, look what this guy has. Why didn't you put this on the menu? I feel cheated. I would have ordered that. I want that. But it's too late. I ordered this and you brought it and here I am. You see? So we don't want people to be like that in their spiritual life. We want to show them what's on the menu. And we're on the menu. Personalism. A personal relationship. Loving relationship with the Supreme Lord. What, what they would say about, about, the, um, about the nothingness of the vibe being a solution to, to, to material suffering is that because we experience or we have an experience therefore we suffer we, we experience suffering so we have to remove the experience and then we can actually truly be at peace because there's no, no one left to suffer yeah so otherwise you'll always, always experience you know, suffering so you have to actually remove the actual source of suffering which is the self then you can actually be truly at peace well, there's an exper experiment that you can do when, when we're talking with, uh, um, I keep saying the New Agers, I don't know if that's what they are. But that's a term that I have heard, but is that what they are now? I mean, there's so many people who are into new, most of it speculative, religious, mm -hmm. you know, so mm -hmm. into the New Agers. 
and uh, when you when you talk to them, um, uh, they tend to have this philosophy that uh, uh, if we go to this place that we're talk that the Buddhists talk about and that the Mayavadis talk about, then we're not going to be suffering. It's going it's the end of suffering. Mm. Okay, so I like to play a little game with them and say, oh. Wow, that sounds interesting. Wow. So here we are. Let's just say you, you and I. Uh, tell me what it's like. You cross over into the impersonal Brahman, or the, the void. Here you are. You're in the void. Okay. There's no form. There's no personality. But there is consciousness, isn't there? Is there conscious? Are you conscious? Or do the lights just go out and you don't exist anymore? Well, no, no I, I continue to exist. Oh, okay. So that you are conscious. So if you're conscious, you must be able to perceive some. You know, even a snail can perceive. So I would imagine you're more advanced than a snail or a cockroach or a dog. You have perception. Okay. Can you not perceive? that A, you're alone. B, there's nothing. Now think about that for a minute. How long are you going to go be alone with nothing? Oh, well, it's because I'm in this body. Okay, but you can meditate on it. How long are you going to want to do this? Maybe in earth years, let's say, maybe you make it 300,000 years of like, okay, here I am. Oh boy, I'm blissful. Still blissful. Yeah, really blissful around here. You know? Really blissful. Yep. Still blissful, boy, I'm, I'm blissful. That time blissful is. Anybody? Somebody turn on a light? To, uh, I wish I had a match to light, you know. So anybody else blissful? Is there anybody there? Uh, anyway, I'm, I'm blissed out. Now, how long can you go on like this? Let's say you make it 300,000 years of feeling blissful. Aren't you going to want something else? Are you going to tell me that, that that's going to feel totally complete? According to the Srimad Bhagavatam, what, what you will do is you will eventually want more. So, when you have that desire for more, you will return to earth, take a body, and do it again. Look And continue your sojourn, your spiritual sojourn, looking for something. We believe, the, the Vaishnavas believe, that what you're looking for is love. Now, in that um, impersonal Brahman or the void or whatever, are you feeling any love? You sure as hell don't love anybody. There's nobody else there. <clears throat> They don't have any form. There's what, what's to love? 
They don't have personality, they don't have form. So you love them because? Any because they're pretty? Any because they're charming? Not, there's nothing attractive at all about them. You don't even know if they're there. I mean, you have some awareness that there's other entities, but what's the exchange? You see? What's the interface? How do you experience love? How do you experience feeling being loved? I mean, there's just these impersonal entities around you with no form and no personality. <laughs> you know? I mean, I guess you could convince yourself, well, I know there's people here. And, 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 I, and I know you, I know in my heart that you love me. I guess you could do that for a while. And maybe you could feel, I love you. Oh, I, I, I know nothing about you, but I, I know I love you because you are, because you are. You know, you could, you could do this, this kind of thing for a while. And let's say, all right, let's say you could do that for half a million years. I think that's stretching it. But let's just say you can. You're, you're going you're gonna to get sick and tired of that. Now, unless you're just hell-bent against God, I mean, you're a real uh, uh, warrior against God. You're really on a campaign against this God entity. Well, you may be so stubborn that you'll stay there for you know, eons. It's possible that you'll stay there for eons because of your stubbornness and your uh, despising any concept of the Supreme, you see. Because now you're away from everybody else and they don't have to worry about you and you and that God guy. I'm here. There's nothing and I like it. Show you and the rest of them. I'm blissful, damn it. <laughs> See? Don't tell me I'm not blissful. <laughs> they don't think I'm blissful. You try it. I'm telling you. See, so... But I mean, we can use our intelligence uh, and, and analyze what's the attraction on the other end like that. And you can talk with them like that and they start talking in circles. They can't really lay anything on the table. We can. They say, what's, your, what's the attraction to you whacking off your hair and putting on an orange sheet? You know. Well, I'm serving my spiritual master and following in the footsteps of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Well, what's that supposed to get you? Love of the Supreme. Supreme love. A loving connection with the Supreme Lover. I'm driven and motivated by that. Now, isn't that the real warm and fuzzy? This is, this is real stuff here. This isn't talking in circles. This is the real thing. I've talked to people, you know, audiences, and I ask them, uh, let's, let's analyze the importance of uh, what's important to us. So, uh, let's say that you have a choice between being twice as wealthy as Bill Gates 
Okay, so you've got over a hundred billion dollars and money coming in like crazy. Alright? And uh, you got a choice of that and having practically speaking no love in your life. Real love. Or you could be on minimum wage and having the most divine love that you could possibly ever imagine. That you, that you could count on forever and that would never ever go away and you'd never ever have to be concerned about love again. Now which one would you rather have? Most people would say, oh, I'll take the love, man. You know, I want the money. And then you could say, okay, what would you rather do? Live to be 95 years old and in perfect health all your life with practically speaking no love whatsoever or die at 50 having led a life full of love, surrounded by people who love you completely and that you love totally in a, a complete loving exchange. Practically everybody says, well, I'd rather have the love. You know, and you can go on and on, like, what, which would you trade? So then you summarize at the end, you say, okay, now what we've learned is that you're willing to give money, you'd give up money for love, you'd give up your life for love, you'd live half the lifespan if you could have real love than you would if you could have money, health, long longevity. So the motivating factor to we, the living entities, is love. We want to love and we enjoy feeling loved. You take that away and life is empty. We see so many uh, uh, famous people uh, musicians and uh, actors who get very, very wealthy. They have fame, profit, they have distinction, and they end up, they kill themselves. You know, they, some of them will do it on, with drugs, some of them just take a gun, they just blow their brains out, you know. Why is that? They've got everything. They could have anything they want. You know, some of these personalities, it's as if they could go into a crowd and say, Hey, Steve, you and I are going to be friends. And you'd say, Why, sure. Because, you know, I mean, you're famous and rich and everything, you know. Yeah, let's, let's be friends. Cool, I'm going to be friends with this famous guy here. They could almost do that. You see? But something big time is missing. They don't feel love. They don't really get love. They're used by people who want uh, to be seen with them. You know, to be able to drop their name. Well, I, I'm, I'm personal friends with Tom Cruise. You and I, uh, we hang together. You know, and when I'm there, I'm trying to, you know, shaft him for everything I can get. Eat all his food, drink all his booze, do all his drugs. Because he's, he's rich, you know. I mean, I can go over there and do the whole thing. I can eat it all and do all his drugs, leave the next day I come back and there's more. The guy's rich. You see? I don't know, you know, as far as caring for him, I mean, he's kind of shallow because, I mean, he's Tom Cruise, you know. He's, yeah, he's shallow, but... Uh, so, uh, what I'm saying is that's the, that's the driving factor. We're distributing that... Um, the real prize. Now, if somebody can honestly look at you and say, hey, I don't give a damn about love. 
I don't care. It didn't turn me on at all. I said, well, but man, you're in the wrong place. You don't need to be talking to me. If you really don't care anything about love, then you and I really don't have anything to talk about. I wish you well. I hope you achieve what it is you're, you're after. But now, if it's love, you may say, well, I, I don't need all that love. I mean, I don't need love of God. I just want the love of a really cute girl. A couple of friends, you know. Well, actually, I'll settle if I just had one good friend. You know, one friend that I could count on. It's always by my side. They're coming right back into our corner. That's what we have. We have Krishna. Suridam Sarva Bhutana. He's the Shurid. The Shurid is the best friend. You know, there's three friends. There's the uh, uh, the uh, Bandhu. Bandhu. He's uh, like an official friend, like your uncle. You know, your uncle. You may not know your uncle very well, but your uncle's supposed to be your friend. He comes over on Thanksgiving and, you know, he's not one of your favorite people, but he's a quote-unquote friend. And uh, and then there's the Mitra. The Mitra is uh, a casual friend. You know, somebody you meet, part of the crowd, but you don't really know each other well, but you're, you're casual. And there's the Shurid. The Shurid is your best friend. You know, he's the guy that you would call at 4 o'clock in the morning or 3 o'clock in the morning with a flat tire, you know, uh, up by San Marcos on a rainy night. And he'd say, hey, be right there. Shuri, Shuridam Sarva Bhutanam. I am the best friend of all living entities. Krishna doesn't say, I'm the best friend of the Vaishnavas. Sarva, all. Shuridam, Sarva Bhutanam. I am the best friend of all living entities. That includes the Buddhist. That includes the impersonalist. If you're looking, even if you're looking for a friend, Krishna's the friend. Now you could say, well, I don't need that much of a friend. You know, maybe not. All right, maybe. Uh, Somebody better than a casual friend. Maybe not the Shurid, not the Mitra, not the Bandhu, but somewhere in the, you know, I want to kind of make up my own kind of friend. I mean, the friend that I can have as a best friend, and when I'm finished with him, he'll go away. That's what I really like. You know, he's not like always there, but when I want him or need him. You see. <laughs> so in other words, you're just a materialist. That's what we do with each other in this material world. I want you when I want you, and when I don't, then ta-ta. Let's see. So, uh, people turn to these philosophies because of that very fact. Uh, I want to be, uh, I, don't, I don't want to be uh, hooked up with this God. You see, if, if, uh, if I acknowledge that God has a personality and a form. Well, now he is the all-pervasive, all-powerful entity with a person with a you know an unlimited personality and an unlimited form. 
So that means that there's a possibility that I can have an exchange with this all-powerful entity. You see, I can actually have an interface. I don't know if I want that. So what if this entity, the supreme entity, what if it asked me to do something? What if it asked me to do something that I don't want to do? I don't want to do. I want to be done for. I don't want to be doing for so much. You know, I don't want, in other words, I don't have the, I don't know the meaning of love. I have this yearning for it. I have an emptiness in my soul. And that's what it is because I don't have it. You see. But I don't want this, uh, I don't want this relationship that will um, that will bring me closer to that to this supreme entity. I want to keep that entity arm's length, you know, like way over there, across the hall. They're doing if I need, you know, if I need, if we need rain, you know, you can. Okay, give us some rain. All right. Okay, thank you. Okay, enough on the rain. All right, thank you. Okay. See what I mean? We want rain. Oops, too much. A little less. Thank you very much. That's what we want. We want a God that we can drive when we're impersonal, when we're material. We want to ask Him to do things. Give me my daily bread. Uh, make my kids graduate high school. Let me find a pretty wife. Give me money. Uh, give me more money. Uh, and while you're at it, give me a prettier wife, and uh, and you can up the money anytime you want. You know, I mean, I, I mean, I just, you know, I asked for a billion dollars. I was just trying to be humble. You know, I was thinking maybe you'd put ten on the table, but since you didn't, you know, I'll give you the number ten. You don't have to stop at ten, and maybe a couple of pretty girls would be nice. You know, I mean, I don't have to have just one. So, so you know. Good weather, you know, send me good weather. Not too hot, not too cold. You see what I mean? That's what I want. I don't want uh, to do for him. I don't want to do for anybody. You see, I want to be loved. And, you know, if I have to, and I'll love you if you love me enough. Of course, it's going to be a cheap love. And it'll, I can make it sound warm and fuzzy. But I'm not willing to do anything for you. For you or God or anybody, you know, I want what's what's due me. I want it all. So, so this personalism, this personalistic approach, is not attractive uh, to the materialist. Sometimes, it's only somebody who's starting to realize that uh, my life is upside down. My spiritual life is really wacko. You know, I'm not getting any bang for my buck at all in this life, pursuit of spiritual life. Now, they may not know that when they walk into your class. But if you do a good enough job, they're going to know it when they walk out. They're going to come in with warm and fuzzy nectar and bliss kind of talk, new agey kind of stuff. And if you do a good job, they're going to walk out with a, with a crater in their, uh, in their spiritual life. They're going to walk out thinking, wow, 
I'm on the wrong path. I forgot to, I forgot to pursue something that has transcendental love. I mean, I, we can go, we can talk about, you know, love and warm and fuzzy all we want, but that's not going to get me what. You know, I didn't know that what these guys brought to the table was on the menu. I didn't know that there was any. I never thought that there was anything like this. That you can have a God that you can love and hug. That you can hold hands with Him. And serve Him. And have this loving exchange. I didn't know that. But I do now. Now I'm not, you know, they may not just up and change right away. But it'll, it'll gnaw at them a little bit. And when they mature, Sometimes people can't join us because they have to go amongst their circle of friends and say, hey, you know what, I'm really buying into what those Hare Krishnas say. And everybody's going to say, what? What are you talking about? You see? So I'm not ready to do that because I'm not spiritually mature enough or even I'm not mature enough to do that. You see? I still depend on that, uh, that herd. You know, I still feel I have to be a part of that herd. So what we have to do is to have a working society, a working society, a working community. And when I say work, it's got to work. It can't be broken. We have to have relationships that work. We have to be personalists. We have to practice what we're preaching in the books. We have to deliver this. We have to. We cannot be uh, uh, just on our own, just thinking for ourselves. We've got to live this life so that when people come and they become interested in the philosophy, the next thing they're going to say is, well, let me check you guys out. Let's see how you live. <coughs> I want to see how you interface with one another. And if they find it attractive, they're going to be here. They're going to leave their herd and come to our herd. Because they're going to need to be with a herd. That's typical. Even people who feel like they're loners. They want to be, they're still part of some, you know, they're dressing a certain way or thinking that they're still, even though if they don't hang around them all the time, you see. They're a, learn, they're a loner within a herd. So, uh, we have to demonstrate, therefore, we need this Varnashram. We all need to spiritually mature. We need to deal with each other uh, in the proper way. We need to put the product on the table. People need to be, they need to hear the philosophy, then they need to see it being lived. They need to be able to experience it, to touch it, feel it. And then they'll be able to accept it, you see. So it's very important for us to think like that. To, to live our lives that way, you know, it's, it's called uh, walking the walk. We're talking the talk. Now it's time to walk the walk. You see, and we can do it. This is a doable thing. We can do it, and we'll be uh, happier for it. <coughs> it's not like uh, like we're giving anything up. When we first come to this movement, we start to think. Oh, God, these guys are asking me to give up a lot of stuff, you know. You know, they want me to give up meat and intoxication, illicit sex, gambling. I mean, come on, boy. I mean, I can't even buy a lottery ticket. Jeez. 
these guys are strict. You know, not even a drive-through burger once in a while. This is crazy. What's with these guys? <laughs> but then after we experience the philosophy, um, these things are easy to give up. They're easy. As a matter of fact, it would be us. It would be a great austerity to eat meat, wouldn't it? At first, it seems like it's going to be an austerity to give it up, but then now we see what would be a tremendous austerity to eat meat. What if you're on an island, shipwrecked? God forbid this would happen. But you're on, you're shipwrecked on an island, and there's nothing there to eat but animals. Nothing. Fish. You have to catch fish, squirrel, or whatever. You know. There's nothing else to eat. There's plants, but you can't eat them, you know. Well, you could do that and stay alive, couldn't you? But that would be a great austerity. I mean, you could carry that further. What if there were no, no, no animals but cows? <sighs> so it would be a horrible austerity. You'd, you'd just want to die. You know, you'd rather die. So, uh, these things that were an austerity to give up, we had material consciousness. We were in the darkness of ignorance. You know, we didn't know. So, that's why I say to folks, we can't be affected by the people that we're preaching to. You see, it's just like doctors in a hospital have to be very careful not to become infected from the people that they treat. You see? And, uh, you know, Prabhupada gives the example when somebody has jaundice. You know, they have, when they're jaundiced, they're, they turn yellow and their eyes are all yellow. And, and if you eat something sweet, it hurts. It hurts your jaw. It aches very bad. You know? But yet, sugar sugar candy is the, is the treatment for jaundice. You have to eat uh, this, uh, uh, it's, it's a sugar, the best cure is this uh, sugar they get from, uh, it's crystallized, uh, there's a name for it, it's like rock candy. Huh? Yeah, 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 that's the cure, you eat that. And it, but it hurts. Oh, it makes the jaw hurt. Hurt. It tastes real bitter. It's so bitter it makes your jaw hurt. But that's the cure, you see. So in the beginning, the medicine may not taste so good, but in the, when the cure starts to, to to come, then the medicine tastes very good. When you start to get cured, when you're fully cured, oh, the medicine is oh, heavenly, you see. So therefore. My point is, sometimes people argue that we should shape our preaching in such a way that it would be more appealing to the common man. Now, I don't see any logic in that because the common man is in ignorance. You see? You need to give him sugar candy, but he can't take that. He, can't, he needs to quit eating meat, but he can't do that. He needs to give up intoxication, but he, you know, he's not looking to do. So how can we make it more attractive to him? I mean, we could say that he's insane. 
you know, the materialism, the materialistic curse is, is like insanity. You don't know. You're, you don't know. You've lost touch with reality. Spiritual reality. You've lost touch with it. So if we make it more attractive, you know, like uh, maybe we all dress in uh, baseball uniforms and, and do Harinam at the baseball park. <laughs> huh? well, you know, how do we, what do they mean by this? Let's make it more attractive. So let's go where these people congregate and be more like them, you know? But they're in ignorance. As soon as they get a taste of Krishna consciousness, they're going to be shedding that ignorance like a guy would shed a coat in 100 degree weather in San Antonio. You know, they're going to peel it off. They're going to drop that consciousness. We've all gone through that. You, you, you just start dropping it. So if we appeal to the mindset that you have right now, and but you're going to drop that, then you're going to want something better than us. If we make you think that we're just like you and you're in the uh, conditioned, materialistic conditioned stage of life, your fallen conditioned soul, and you're in the darkness of ignorance, and we make you feel like we can appeal to you in that stage, as soon as your eyes are open a little bit, you're going to look for something better than us. Or something real. I want some devotees. I want to see people who are devoted. You know, I don't want to hang with you wishy-washy guys. But thank you for turning me on. That was great. But now I want something better than these wishy-washies. You see, it's broken by design. There, there are people uh, who give uh, classes in uh, yoga studios, and they show up wearing jeans and t-shirt. This jeans and a t-shirt, long hair. And they sit down and read from Bhagavad Gita and talk, you know. And I'm thinking, what kind of credibility do you have? Where's your credibility? If you show up, jeans and a t-shirt, most people that are in jeans and a t-shirt, you're just another one of the herd. What gives you any credibility? So you read that book. I read this book. I read the, the vows of Amida Buddha. And you read your book, so. So I know as much about spiritualism as you do. You know, I, I use the, I like to use the example of uh, uh, if somebody's directing traffic and they're wearing street clothing and you get up there and he's telling you stop and you're thinking, well, I want to go. Who the heck are you? Who the heck are you, Drek? Who are you to tell me to stop? I'm going. The guy's dressed in a policeman's uniform. He tells you to stop. You're going to stop. But the guy could be an off-duty policeman dressed in civilian clothes. But you may think, who are you to tell me to stop? You don't, you don't have any more authority than I do. I'm going. You know. So... We follow in the footsteps on a ceiling. We follow in the footsteps. We'll sit down with the uh, impersonalists, the Buddhists. We'll, we'll go toe-to-toe -to -toe with them in a friendly, loving manner because we want to save them. 
And we want to show them what's on the menu. This loving relationship is on the menu. We think it's attractive because, and, and express why we think it's attractive. If they're a little bit attracted to that philosophy, wait till they see how we are as friends. How we associate in a loving way with one another. You see? And in that way, people will be attracted to the movement. So, any questions, comments? Uh, just to recap, the, um, the, the gradations of friendship, Suri, Suri was the Shuri, yeah. Suri was the most intimate, and then before that was Mitra. Mitra, casual. Casual, before that was... Bandhu. Bandhu. Yeah. Bandhu is associate. Official, official friend. You know, it's like, uh, hi Covey, I'd like to meet Steve, he's your friend. Officially, he's your friend. Well, you never had a relationship, really. There was no friendship earned. But uh, this is your Uncle Steve. He's your best friend. You know, he's your friend. You see what I mean? It's like that. It's the, so there are different friends, friendships. Um, Bhakta Mike and I were talking about uh, you can judge a lot about people. Uh, how many friends do they have? As devotees, we should be accumulating a lot of friends. We should have thousands. You know, because we get around, we know people all over the world. We share um, this divine philosophy. You see, we should learn how to become uh, best friends to everyone. You see, we have to emulate this shurid. We're also, we're part and parcel of Krishna. We're his servant. So we are also the best friend of all living entities. We have to see ourselves as the best friend of everybody. <clears throat> and that means breaking down the wall of us and them. We're devotees. Those guys are karmis. We can't think like that. We have to, we have to stop that. We know they're there. We know that there's fallen conditioned souls out there. But if you, and, and how are you, if you don't feel some compassion for them, how are you going to save them? If they're just lousy, rotten karmis, you know, then why should I save them? You know, I don't want to even be with them. <laughs> you know? Unless I've got a bunch of other devotees with me. No, we can't do like that. We have to see them all as, as um, part and parcel of Krishna. They're devotees too. They just don't know it. They're covered over. They're just covered over. Anything else? Jai. All glories to Srila Prabhupada. Who's that lurking around the kitchen? Uh, and I believe here, it's here also. Yeah. Uh -huh.